Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning and welcome to The Morning Beat. The question on the top of everyone's minds. Has Omicron, Omicron, Omicron climaxed, I mean peaked, Climax. Instead of Has saying Omicron climax, mm-hmm. and is it being sexually stimulated in the ways that it needs to be? That part. Let's let's get rid of the word peaked. I don't want to talk about surges like and peaks climaxed. anymore. Have we climaxed mm. as a global pandemic just yet? We're talking well, about it in therapy Thursdays <laughs> with our sex specialist. No, we're not. But we are talking about it with Dr. Ms. Adalja uh, from Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Uh, calling in in about 15 minutes. We're having that conversation. We actually had this one yesterday. So fantastic, though, full of great information. We want you to hear it and not miss it. So if you weren't listening to our uh, later in the show, if you're if you're an early morning listener, we've got you covered. And then also this hour, you know, as as we inch back towards some sort of normalcy, you know, clubs reopening, nightlife coming alive again, concerts and things like that. As queer people, how do we readjust to what was once very normal for for us, right? Nightlife was very much a part of our culture for so long. It has been sort of like put to the side for a couple of years. Yeah. But as we head back into the party scene and club scene, uh, is it ever okay just to walk away from a conversation or a person and leave them Leave them in the dust just because you don't want to have the conversation. Maybe they're not interested all I can or hear, interesting. All I can hear is, I'm in the corner watching you kiss Girl, that's, oh, that's me every own. time I go to a social <laughs> event. My partner and I, thank God, he's like my crutch, though. Mm-hmm. Our therapist has been challenging us this last year as things start to slowly open up to go to events and force ourselves to talk to other people, especially other queer people. Because we go to these events that are like just fabulous. Yes. And we're like... In the corner, like, what is it? A shrinking violet? That's what we are. I'm a shrinking violet. Okay, you're not a shrinking violet. You're a beautiful, beautiful petunia that is just trying to grow on a wall after coming out of COVID with no proper water, no proper feeding. Okay. I did be, I just did, six, five and a half trying to figure it out. Listen, I did become a plant dad during the pandemic. And they died. They all died. So we've slowly been replacing them all with fake plants. Listen, Lisa <laughs> said to me the other day, we went to the to the market, to the Fairfax market. Yeah. And there's a bunch of plants there. And Lisa was like, oh, should we get more plants? And I was like, Lisa, literally, you can get more plants. I don't take care of them. I don't look yeah. at them. I don't touch them. Yeah. I don't have a green thumb. I don't have any interest. You can get more plants. I feel like Lisa's really great at keeping plants alive, though. Oh, incredible. She's the best plant carer I've ever met. Mm. They thrive. Me, she's, dead. She's a nurturer. No, she is. She's you know what you're great girl. at, though? What? News on the beat. Uh, no, I'm not. And you know that. That's, uh, that's fair. You're, 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 
you're you're okay at best. <laughs> okay, well, Jim Obergefell, whose name has become synonymous with same-sex marriage rights in the U.S., announced that he will run for a seat in the Ohio House of Representatives. Ohio, yeah. Ohio. Obergefell is running as a Democrat in his hometown, Sandusky, to represent the state's 89th district, which includes Erie and Ottawa counties. He is seeking to challenge the first-term Republican incumbent, DJ Swearingen. Who knows? Okay, great. He championed his advocacy work, including the Supreme Court's 2015 decision in Obergefell versus Hodges, which legalized same-sex marriage across the country. Obergefell and his husband, John Arthur, first sued Ohio in July 2013 after they flew to Maryland and got married on the tarmac of a Baltimore airport. And we love that. Uh, Go you ahead, know, Obergefell. You know that uh, he's also partial owner of a wine shop up in Guerneville outside of San Francisco. Mm. We just saw, shot a series of videos with Toyota and, and, and LGBTQ Nation, and we went to the wine shop. It's called Equality Vines, and we bought a couple of bottles and got to experience the whole history of the Obergefell v. Hodges uh, case. Pretty cool stuff. Also from Ohio. I love this. I love this. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's do weather. It's going to be a high of 64 in Vegas. 77 in Palm Springs, 75 in Houston, 73 in Miami, 70 in Phoenix, a high of 61 in Atlanta, 41 in Chicago, 77 in Cathedral City, and 77 in La Quinta. Now give us a vibe with it. Success is not an activity, but a process. Enjoy the process, and you're already successful. I added that last part. I love it. That was me. That was beautiful. All right, we're joined with a senior scholar from Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security talking about is the Omicron climaxing coming up next. (laughs) (laughs) The Morning Beat with AJ Gibson and Michaela Gordon. Channel Q. Welcome back to The Morning Beat. Now, as we're seeing cases of Omicron continue to surge, more than 800,000 new cases, new infections reported each day, the U.S. Surgeon General has warned that Omicron has not yet peaked. Uh, What does that mean for the pandemic here in the United States? Uh, Is is it a regional thing? Are we all in this thing together? Uh, Is it going to peak on the East Coast sooner than the West Coast? Lots of questions. Here to give us some answers is Dr. Amesh Adalja, Senior Scholar of Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Dr. Adalja, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So we, we've, we've learned a bit about Omicron, and we've all, we all feel like we're sort of experts as we try to wrap our brains around what this pandemic actually is, what's coming right around the corner, how long we're going to be in this sort of new normal. Uh, but there have been some, some positive things that we've learned out of Omicron and how it spread and peaked in other parts of the world. Can we use that information to make assumptions about what's going to happen here in the United States and where do we stand currently? I do think we can use that information to understand the trajectory in the United States. We know, for example, in places like South Africa, that Omicron took this really steep rise and steep decline that happened over a period of weeks, which was different from other versions of the virus where this usually happened over months. And I think if you look in the United States, some of the places that got hit first, Boston, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, you're seeing peaking, meaning cases are coming down. Uh, this is I think expected, and, and I think it's it's good news because it seems that what we saw in South Africa is something that probably applies wherever Omicron is based on social networks and how people get infected. But we still have to remember that the whole country is not on the same timeline. There's going to be peaks that are, that are somewhat varied in places that got hit with Omicron later. 
and some of the hospitalizations and the deaths that may occur will lag those cases. So when we see the cases go down, it still may be some time before you see that kind of translate into severe disease. But in general, it means that Omicron is not the same type of variant as Delta, for example, where we saw these months-long uh, surges. Um, I'm happy that you said that not everybody in the country is on the same time frame because I will say in December... I thought Omicron was absolutely peaking. It felt like everybody I knew had it or had some sort of variant. The hospitals are still full here. But I think that that does give us something to look forward to, knowing that Boston had their high moments and now it's starting to go down. Do you think that also has to do with uh, all the vaccines that people have gotten? I think that the vaccines are what keep people out of the hospital. With Omicron, because it is a, an immune evasive variant with mutations that get around some, but not all of the protection vaccines provide us, you'll see a lot more cases than, than you will see hospitalizations. The, the case to hospitalization ratio changes with Omicron, especially because in vaccinated people, it is a pretty benign disease. But there are still going to be high risk individuals that, that are not vaccinated that still will need hospitalized. We also have a lot of people who will test positive for Omicron in the hospital for other reasons, which still takes resources, even if they're not completely there because of COVID-19. So it's going to be some time before hospitals get see the other side of this. That's going to be the critical thing we have to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks to make sure that hospitals are well-resourced in terms of primarily staffing now. And and that's what some of the, the federal plans and some of the state plans do with using National Guard and other assets to try and make sure that hospitals stay stay afloat. If you're just now joining us, we're talking to Dr. Amesh Adalja, senior scholar from Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Uh, now, Dr. Adalja, uh, it's it, this sounds like a, a, a cra- like a sort of a crass question, uh, but I think it's something that a lot of people are just wondering about. You know, at the beginning of this, we thought ah, two weeks, two weeks will be out, and then we're like um, okay, maybe six weeks, it'll be over. Now we're almost two years in. We're approaching that two-year mark, you know, uh, of the lockdowns, at least. It's been around for more than two years, this this pandemic has. But are we learning, based on what we know from this pandemic and other viruses and how they have spread, is there a preference? It, it is, and this sounds so weird, but as as an expert, would you rather see long, sloping curves like Delta that are more severe or sharp higher peaks like Omicron that maybe are less severe and is the sharper peak that also declines very quickly an indicator that where we are in the pandemic is changing and that we could be getting closer to the end than the beginning? Well, a couple of things there. First of all, it's important to remember that COVID-19 is not a disease that can be eliminated or eradicated. It's always going to be with us so long as there are humans on this planet. The goal is to tame it, to make it more manageable like other respiratory viruses. And when it comes to the size and slope of peaks, what we what we're going, it's it's arguable, which is preferable, because, you know, if Omicron, if the timing was different, perhaps it was happening not on the heels of Delta, where hospitals were already getting under pressure. It might have been a different story. But the thing is that the increase that the high peak maybe too much for many hospitals to handle, even if it's over quickly. Mm. So there's that issue. But in general, I think, yes, I think that Omicron does represent um, a turn in the pandemic, meaning we've now got an immune evasive variant that gets around immunity that can infect, and maybe it causes milder illness. And this may be what this eventually turns into something. Omicron may be the first step down that road 
towards endemicity of what the strains of COVID-19 will look like. We'll have to see if that's the case. But but the bottom line is, is that COVID is not going anywhere. And I think we have to use the tools that we have, vaccines, monoclonal antibodies, antivirals, rapid tests to tame the virus, to make it something we can risk calculate around. And I think we're increasingly getting there. And indeed, for vaccinated persons, we are there. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you uh, talking through this with us because we're still very much in a pandemic. And I think sometimes I even forget that. So thank you for breaking that all down in mesh. Uh, Senior scholar at John Hopkins Center for Health Security. We'll talk to you soon. Loki, you do be forgetting we are in a global pandemic. (laughs) A million percent. I was talking to myself. All right. Coming up, clubs are back open. But do you find yourself being left alone at the party? We talk about it next. The Morning Beat with AJ Gibson and Michaela Gordon. Channel Q. Listen, listen. As queer people, we're expected to be the life of the party everywhere we go, right? We're chatty. We like to, like, kiki. We like to make new friends at the nightclubs or parties. Uh, but what happens when maybe you meet a new person and you're just not feeling it? Mm-hmm. Is it okay just to walk away or is that rude? Because we've been indoors for a couple of years during this pandemic. And so some of us were just now reacclimating to life in the real world. And this, this, this conversation came up because in the Washington Post, they have a segment called Miss Manners. And it's sort of like a Dear Abby. And somebody wrote, Dear Miss Manners, in social settings, is it okay to finish a conversation and walk away when doing so leaves the other person awkwardly alone? Their story is this. I was chatting with someone I did not know at a party. After about 20 minutes of pleasant conversation, I used a pause to say I was going to refresh my drink and asked whether the man would like one himself. He said no, and I walked away and joined friends in another room. He was left alone, sitting there by himself, and I felt a bit guilty. Now, I know I'm not obligated to sit with him until someone else joins, which may not happen, but is there a better way to leave? Michaela, what are your thoughts? What do you do in this situation? Oh, God. I don't even remember what it feels like going to a club. <laughs> I swear, Let's be honest. I um I think it's okay to leave people alone. I often like to be alone at a party. Do you like it or you do it because you actually just don't want to start up conversations? uh, Well, I find that I like to observe the situation Mm -hmm. before I go in. Because honestly, for me, it's very strategic if I go to a party. It's very rare that I'm like, yeah, let's have some fun. (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to be here, but I have to be here. So who am I going to talk to? Yeah, you're supporting someone or their cause or you're networking. Totally. <laughs> One of two it's things. It's literally, sure. that's the only way. So I like like to observe the situation. Then I like to get in there, have my conversation with whoever I need to talk to, and then maybe stand for a second again, irritate Lisa about something, and then leave. Yeah, it's tricky because I've been in the situation where I tend to, I'm, I'm, what would it be, an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert? I'm probably an extroverted introvert, actually, because I'm the type of person that... I will talk to anybody anywhere. I get on an elevator and I can make a best friend in 10 floors. Like, it's just who I am. I go to a party and I will find one person. If I'm not there with my partner, if I find one person, I'll, I can latch onto them, make a conversation. And if they walk away, I'm the guy sitting there by himself. Because I'm like, I don't, okay, I, I used all my energy. I have no more stories to tell. I don't know what to do. I talk for a living. So this sounds crazy, but it's very, very true. And... But I've also been the person that's on the other side of this where I'm like, oh, if I walk away right now, they might be alone. But then usually I don't walk away because I'm like, okay, I'd probably be alone too. So I'm just going to, it's a a mutual, we're mutually beneficial. I will say there's nothing more (laughs) awkward than like you both are like, okay, okay. 
And then the person's like, okay. And you're like, all right. And you're like, got it. And you like slowly walk away. You know what it's like? Here's exactly what it's like. It's like when you... Oh, God, here goes. It's like when you're having dinner with somebody. Uh-huh. And then you say goodbye to them inside the restaurant in the lobby area. And then you're outside waiting for your car. And you walk out. <laughs> and you're next still door. walking together. Yeah. And then you're like, we already said our goodbyes. And then you're like, okay, you make, bye one more time. Then you make awkward small talk. A thousand percent. A thousand, yeah, yeah. Or you're waiting for your Uber guests after you've said goodbye. Like, it's just awkward. But I think that... We as a society need to embrace being left alone. Like because for for Lisa, my partner, she will not do small talk. She hates it. She she, thinks she does. She she has no business. She has, she has no interest in it. She's like okay, whatever. There's not. I've never met anybody who does not care. She doesn't care. She will not ask you questions. If you ask her about a dog, she'll go on for hours, but nothing else. She doesn't want to know anything about somebody if she's mm-hmm. not interested. She because also what it stems for her is when she grew up, there was a lot of like meaningless conversation. Like her mom gets nervous in times of silence, so she just talks and talks and talks and talks. I do that sometimes. Well, that's how Lisa grew mm-hmm. up. So Lisa's like, I hate that, and she will not talk or ask questions unless she genuinely wants to. So it's like sometimes people like to be left alone and sure. don't want to. And, yeah, and if you're the person who's like awkwardly trying to get away, I I take a lot of my life lessons uh, from Karen from Will and Grace. Oh my God, I can't. Uh, Megan Mullally, and there's a scene in the original iteration of the show where she's literally holding a martini, and she's with I think Will and Grace or Jack or whoever, and she wants to get out of the situation, and they're at a restaurant or a bar or something, and she says, "Oh look, better people," and she just walks away. Like I think that's the key. Oh, oh look, that. better people, and then and you're out of the situation, <laughs> and and the, the people you're with absolutely know how you feel about them i'm obsessed (laughs) all right coming up in what's poppin bradley cooper is talking about a scene that required him to be naked on set for six hours and how difficult it was for him coming up next worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole well good thing instacart shoppers are as picky as you are they find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line they are milk expiration date detectives they bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
The Morning Beat. Channel Q. You're listening to The Morning Beat. It's time for our first round of What's Poppin'. Michaela, take it away. All right, Bradley Cooper is opening up about stripping down. The Nightmare Alley actor has a full frontal scene in the new Guillermo del Toro-directed psychological thriller and recently chatted with The Hollywood Reporter uh, about it. He said, I remember reading in the script and thinking he's a pickled punk in that bathtub and it's a story. You just have to do it. The scene went down during Tony Collette's first day of filming and Cooper was required to be nude in front of the crew for six hours. He said it was actually pretty heavy. I don't know if he's talking about himself or just emotionally. Maybe both. Maybe both. I, You know, it's always interesting to me. I find sex scenes... Very uncomfortable because not for me, but I'm like I remember I had to do a makeout scene when I was on a television show, and I was so uncomfortable. It's, oh, every actor says it's the worst. Yeah, part of the it's job. like not. It was very weird doing it in front of a crew and to be naked for six hours with your whole like manhood out like that. That's yeah. a lot. And also, I it's interesting because. If this were a story about a woman feeling uncomfortable, we'd have a very different conversation about it, I feel like, right now. When it's a man in this situation, we often don't think of that. We think men is just being tough, and it is what it is. But men, full frontal nudity, first of all, I can't imagine. That just would terrify me. Yeah. Because you got to think, you're on set. There's 20, 30, 40, 50 people around you the entire time. And he's, you know, to add pressure, he's a very wanted man. He's a handsome man. Yeah. Like, people are probably like, what's going on down there? He did say, though, that he wasn't phased by the nudity requirement because there was nothing gratuitous about it. It was simply telling a story. Sure. Which I think is a little different. Six hours of it, though, to me. And also, just physically speaking, right? You're on a set. These sets are usually very cold. It's very cold in there. There's shrinkage. Yeah. There's, I mean, genuinely, like, women don't have to worry about that part of it, at least. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, a, a woman's body, nude, is going to look exactly the same right now as it will 10 minutes from now, an hour from now. Men's bodies change physically, and just that part of it in the, uh, alone would make me so uncomfortable. I agree. I totally agree. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, but he did it, and I can't wait to see the psychological thrillers. Some of my favorite movies are psychological thrillers. Mm. All right, coming up, a candidate is smoking weed in a new campaign. Have they gone too far puffing on a blunt? We talk about it next. The Morning Beat. Channel Q. Coming up this hour, would you vote for a political candidate who is smoking weed in a campaign ad? Well, if you live in one state, you might have that opportunity uh, come this fall. Also, could weed, <laughs> it's a weed, weed hour, cannabis hour, uh, could it help prevent COVID-19? Mm. I haven't gotten COVID so far in two years. I'm just saying I've avoided it completely. I'm not saying why, but I don't know. There's some science. You're an icon. There's some science. We're actually going to be talking to uh, Richard Van Bremen, the lead researcher with Oregon State's Global Hemp Innovation Center, uh, to talk about exactly this. Could cannabis th- be the thing that saves us? Can you imagine if it's marijuana that saves us from a global pandemic? I think that would be so the, <laughs> iconic. Plot twist. Oh, my God. Like I just love Snoop it. is the, like, the healthiest lead one, yep. of the campaign. He's, and he's, he's the only like, one left on the planet someday because him he and Martha so much Stewart. Weed. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, my God. That would end Dolly Parton because the, she helped fund. The content of it all.
Wow. And also, you know Dolly Parton be smoking a joint every now and then on the side. Yeah, That's complete girl. allegation, She's speculation. She's hanging out with Willie Nelson, like, nothing. choking it Absolutely. up. Absolutely. You know it's true. Is he still alive? Is he yeah, still around? Yes. He wow. did a show with Casey Musgraves, who also enjoys a little Mary Jane. And he sort of looked like he could barely stand up. But he well, he's sort also of, could have been very high. To be fair has barely been able to stand up since like the mid 80s but you probably. know what's keeping him up marijuana marijuana also <laughs> fighting off covid maybe <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna be a fun hour here on the morning beat right now though it is some time for some news on the beat if i could just get that sentence out hopefully you can talk a little more clearly than i can right now michaela i need a I need a little more caffeine i know that's right a virginia legislator has introduced a bill that would restrict transgender students access to school restrooms and other facilities John Avioli, a Republican member of the House of Delegates, last week introduced the legislation. Wait, wait, wait. did you say House of Delegates? It's did del- I say delegates? I think you said the word delegates, kind of like, you know, bras and panties and the laundry. Your delegates. Your House of Laundrie last week introduced the legislation, which states that multi-user restrooms, changing rooms, and overnight accommodations must be restricted to members of the same biological sex. Uh, the Washington Blade reports it does give an option for single-user facilities. Another anti-trans bill has been introduced in the Senate. The bill from Republican Senator Travis Hackworth would rescind the law requiring schools to adopt the Virginia Department of Education's guidelines for equal treatment of trans students. Uh, Danica Rome, Virginia's first trans legislator, told the Blade Hackworth's bill would be dead on arrival in committee. What if we just rethink bathrooms? Like, this this seems to be such a sticking point. Like, what if we just get rid of, like, the large group public bathrooms altogether? And just make or them put, individuals? Yeah, or put doors on everything so it doesn't matter who's sitting next to you. Yeah. Like, why don't we just do that so then everything is just co-ed and it's not so weird for everybody? Because it seems to be such a sticking point. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe we're looking at this from the wrong angle. Maybe just rethink how bathrooms are done altogether. Although, as a man... The female line is always way longer than the male line, so whatever that means. Listen to me. You don't know how many times when I have to go pee, I go into, I don't even care. I walk right into the men's room. I handle it, and then some of the girls follow me, and it balances out. I do it all the time because the girls' bathroom takes so long. Yeah, but also most of those men probably love it. They probably love seeing you in the bathroom. If you flip that, if you Honestly, flip that, Honestly, they probably though, don't because I go in with such an attitude as well because I'm already mad that the girls took so right. long. They're like, get out. And I'm like, never. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, mm-hmm. I like your ideas. I mean, I, I'm just saying there's got to be another way to like approach this. Yeah. I agree. That works I think for everyone. So. Uh, all right. Let's get into a little weather. It's going to be a high of... Uh, 39 in Sacramento, 34 in St. Louis, 45 in Seattle, 52 in Phoenix, 25 in Kansas City, 70 in Vegas, 72 in L.A., and 39 in New York. It sounds terrible everywhere but here in Las Vegas. And that's why we live here, honey. (laughs) That's why we're living here. All right, here's your vibe of the day. Success is not an activity, but a process. You might already be successful right now, and if you're always focused on that thing down the road that you think will bring you joy and happiness... You're missing the moment. Just just be be present. Yeah. And know that success is happening every single day. Yep, if that's you get I mean. up and you, and you have breath in your lungs, you've got you're successful. That's it. It's that I simple. That. I'm telling myself this right now. And I'm listening to it as well. Thanks. Okay, well, a candidate is smoking weed in his new ad campaign, but is it too much for some people? We'll discuss next. The morning beat with AJ and Michaela. Channel Q. 
Welcome back to the Morning Beat. Don't look at your clock. It's not 420, uh, but we are talking about marijuana this hour on the Morning Beat. And I'll tell you why, because there's a candidate running for office, political office, uh, and he's running for Senate. His name is Gary Chambers, and he released an ad recently for his campaign. Um, now, he's a Louisiana community advocate running for the U.S. Senate. Uh, so this this feels like it doesn't really track for Louisiana. It's a uh-huh. very conservative state. But in his ad, the video is titled 37 Seconds. And he's sitting there wearing a blue suit uh, in a leather chair in the middle of New Orleans in a field. And he lights up a blunt. He says, every 37 seconds, someone is arrested for possession of marijuana. Since 2010, state and local police have arrested an estimated 7.3 million Americans for violating marijuana laws, over half of all drug arrests. And then he says black people are four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana laws than white people. He also adds that most of the police arresting aren't dealers, but rather people just like me. So they're not getting to the root of the problem. They're just arresting people who are casual marijuana users. Hmm. Now, he's 36 years old. Uh, He's a community activist from Baton Rouge and uh, a Democrat. And he's looking to unseat Republican Senator John Kennedy, which is weird that his name's John Kennedy and he's Republican. But um, this is really fascinating to me because if you had just said to me, would you vote for somebody who's smoking a blunt in a campaign ad? I would have said, that's insane. But this ad is kind of powerful. I will say that it's so powerful. And I look, I can't smoke weed. It's just not for me. I've tried and I, I it's just something that doesn't work for me. However, I have watched very elderly people, um, including like Lisa's mom, who have taken an edible or who have smoked a little bit of mm-hmm. weed. And it changed the pain in their body. Yep. And it was the only thing that brought relief to them. And it's not addicting. It's not addicting. It's not gonna, it's not it gonna, doesn't harm your body. It's not a gateway drug to like heroin. No. Or, or, or whatever. Like, you know how like Oxy and like all these like prescription drugs are so dangerous. It doesn't do that. And we know that. Yeah. And yeah. it can bring relief to people. And if you take it as an edible, it doesn't harm your lungs when nope. smoking. Nope. It's literally just digesting a plant. And I think that that's been the hardest thing for me and so many people. Mm-hmm. Seeing how many men and women, black men and women in, in particular, particular yep. that have been jailed for such a small amount of weed for over 15 years. Like the sentences were so crazy. Some people, it's the three strikes rule, some people are in prison for life because of a small marijuana like, exactly. That, 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 it's so insane. And it's so, listen, when we look at these numbers, and they're disproportionately people of color who are being arrested and put away, incarcerated because of marijuana use, right? And then you go down any street in Los Angeles and you see these flashy stores that look like an Apple store. You could go in and buy a Mac computer, yeah. but instead you can buy all yeah. sorts of different hybrid weeds. Uh, you can buy cookies and, and, and cupcakes and you can buy edibles. And these things are all packaged. They look like kids' candy. Right now, they're very regulated. You have to show like an ID. There's security at the door. Only a certain amount of people are let in at a, a single time. I know this because I partake, right? Because it's completely legal. Um, but then you see these people who are in prison, sometimes for life sentences, who are still in prison in places where it's been legalized. Yeah. And they're still not released. I think this is actually an interesting take. On a campaign ad, I, I really I like think it, and I like super, it as a powerful. black man. I yes. think it's I, again, yes. I because listen, my partner has his entire his dad's entire side of the family is actually from Baton Rouge. 
That's where uh, we're, we were supposed to go there this last year, the last two years actually for Thanksgiving, but we've canceled because they're older um, and because of COVID. But this will speak to voters. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, you don't need to be a marijuana user for this to speak to you. You have to just have a heart and say, oh yeah, that's not right. Black men and women are being incarcerated because of marijuana use, yet it's legal in much of the country now. Why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Why does our prison system, why does our justice system work the way that it does? And why is it targeting people of color? This will speak to those people. Whether or not you ever have smoked a blunt in your entire life doesn't matter. Right. You're going to look at this and be like, oh, wow, that's a real issue. And that's an issue I think people can get behind. Absolutely, I, I, I think it's I think it's real. I think it's really cool. I would vote for this guy. I would vote for this guy too. I, I, totally I mean, I'm not great. moving to Louisiana to do it, obviously, because like you know the South. But we're not going there. We're not going there. Maybe just for a visit for Thanksgiving next year. That's I'm, that I would be nice. I didn't. That wasn't me inviting you. Just so you know, but you're I'm not, going. You're not coming to a meals. It sounded like you invite family. It sounded like you invited me. You said maybe that would be a nice place to go for Thanksgiving. We could maybe meet you in New Orleans then and uh. party. Honey, listen. You honey, would get all the beads. I know you would. I would be flashing. <laughs> listen, I flash for no beads. Okay, imagine me <laughs> in New is, Orleans. That is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. The Morning Beat with AJ and Michaela. Channel Q. All right, so as we continue to try to find ways to fight this global pandemic, as we're in the midst of this Omicron surge that could be nearing the end, hopefully, and it could be a turning point for us in this fight, uh, we've been seeing a lot of articles recently popping up uh, about some research done on the use of cannabis and how it might actually help prevent COVID. Is this fact? Is this fiction? Here to help us make sense of it all is Richard Van Bremen, the lead researcher with Oregon State's Global Hemp Innovation Center. Uh, Thank you so much, Richard, for being here. How are you? Doing fine, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, no, we are so pleased to have this conversation with you. Um, I guess we're kind of curious to know, uh, is there truth to this? And if so, what is the research that backs this claim that cannabis could actually help prevent COVID? We look to nature for new sources of... um, natural products that could help combat COVID-19 infections and hopefully prevent the infections from happening altogether. And we screened um, botanical dietary supplements as sources of these new compounds. And we were fortunate to find compounds in hemp, which showed activity in our laboratory studies against live virus and human cell culture. That's where we stand at this point. I think it's 
fascinating to know that even, what, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, cannabis was looked at this gateway drug. I mean, when I was in D.A.R.E., they were like, do not smoke weed, girl, because that will lead to heroin. And now it's the thing that could possibly help people from getting COVID, which essentially destroyed everyone's 2020. Plants are very complex sources of what we call secondary metabolites. These are the small molecules that are beyond just necessary for survival. They're not just proteins or DNA, but they're those molecules that we sense when we uh, eat spices. These are natural products that have flavor, uh, aroma, and they can be used to attract animals to help, like insects, to help pollination. They can be deterrents to predators to eat these compounds, eat the plants. But we're taking advantage of these complex compounds from nature as sources of new therapeutic agents. In particular, about half of all the drugs we use today have their origin in natural products. They're either natural products in the original form or they've been chemically derivatized or they're inspired by natural products. So hemp is a particularly interesting plant because it's extremely complex and has many classes of compounds and within those classes, many compounds that are absolutely unique in, in the world. You know, it's really fascinating to me that this is how, this is how and, and I guess this is something that you probably have a thought on because you've been studying this, you've made a career and a life out of this, that on one hand, you know, our Earth, our planet sort of gave us this virus, right? We don't exactly know the exact origin or haven't pinpointed the one moment. Uh, but this is sort of what the Earth does. It is this living, breathing organism, and we are all part of the ecosystem, right? But then on the other hand, it sounds like if this is true, cannabis is also a solution that was also given us to given to us by the Earth. Do you think that's how the planet works? Does the Earth kind of give us, you know, something to deal with? but then also gives a solution to deal with that thing. Well, that's a very good point. And nature has made these secondary metabolites in plants for a reason. They are all biologically active. One can go about sort of randomly synthesizing complex chemical compounds and then testing them to see if they have pharmacological activity. Or you can do what we've chosen, and that's to look to nature for sources of compounds that are already known to have biological activity and possibly, in, at least in humans, they might have pharmacological activity too. Oh, I think that is so fascinating. You know, I, we appreciate this work and it, 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 I, it's, I just love learning about this sort of stuff. And I know in our community, you know, uh, speaking of how this kind of kind of ties into the LGBTQ plus community. Dennis Perone was a, a widely regarded as the father of the medical marijuana movement back in the 1970s and 80s and, and beyond uh, up in San Francisco in the Castro district. And marijuana was used to treat those dying of HIV and AIDS yeah. and it eased, uh, you know, nausea, depression, anxiety, pain, and all sorts of problems. What other sort of uses do you see, you know, as, the, as this research continues into how marijuana can help prevent COVID, uh, what other ways do you think that marijuana will be implemented into our daily lives in the next 5, 10, 20 years? I'm confident that we will find other therapeutically active compounds and effective agents in the hemp plant. Already, CBD cannabidiol has been approved by the FDA for the treatment of certain forms of juvenile epilepsy. So it's an anti-seizure compound. 
CBD and some of the other cannabinoids also have anti-inflammation properties and look promising as compounds to help control pain. We've just discovered that CBDA and CBGA, two acidic forms of the cannabinoids, can bind to the spike protein of the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 and prevent it from entering human cells. So there's another potential therapeutic application of cannabinoids from hemp. Richard Van Bremen, lead researcher with Oregon State's Global Hemp Innovation Center in the college. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, so fascinating. your time. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, coming up, Mo Hart reveals the reason for changing her name before Drag Race, and we've got those details for you in What's Poppin'. I get anxiety when I hear anybody say nine to five because I've never worked one of those in my entire life. I don't know what that life looks like. However, in this one song, this one and only song, it brings me joy. I love Dolly. We apologize that it took us almost two hours to get to this. Honestly. But Michaela, what's popping? First of all, dear Dolly. I'm so sorry that I had COVID and I literally spaced and also was very wrapped up in my own birthday from Friday Mm -hmm. to my Capricorn queen. Do you want to know Dolly Parton's middle name? Let's just talk facts. What is it? Rebecca. Really? (laughs) Wait, no. Yes, it is. Wait, is her real name Dolly Parton? Yes. Dolly Rebecca Parton. (laughs) (laughs) Can you stand that? That's... Okay, so her initials are D-R-P. Dr. P. Do- she is like a doctor she because a doctor she saved P. us from COVID. First of wow. all, let me tell you why there's such an obsession with Dolly Rebecca Parton. Happy 76th birthday, by the way. Oh, 76. sorry. Oops, I just stepped on your Amen. toes. She is such an icon because there's no, there's no entertainer, I feel like, that can balance out the Republican and Democratic Party <laughs> like she can. Yeah. Everybody loves Dolly. She should run for president. She's younger than all the presidents we're having lately. She's She would be the president. Uh. You know, she's also very humble. She's so smart. She wrote, I Will Always Love You. And then Whitney Houston sang it and made it famous. But this is a fact that I love about Whitney Houston. Well, I also love Whitney Houston, of course. Dolly Parton had I Will Always Love You. And Elvis Presley came to her and he said, can I buy the song from you? And she was not famous. She was nobody at the time, just like a singer, songwriter. And he could have literally bought that song. She would have made money, sold it to Elvis. Mm. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't. Because if she would have sold it to him, she would have lost the rights, the songwriter rights. She would not have made her money. And it's similar to why Taylor Swift re- um, recorded her masters. Recorded her masters yeah. Because Dolly would have lost that. And that many years ago, a woman As in a the woman. music business yep. in country, she was so smart. And I love that about her. She also To was have so... the foresight and the faith in yourself and your talents that you're going to be fine. Yes. Yeah. And you know, we love her for her big implants and all of the work that she's had done. Wait, and... she's had work done? Uh, I know, surprisingly. <laughs> and when people used to try to call her out, she just was so smart. She said, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. I mean, if that's not the best thing to say, I love Dolly Parton. She disarms everybody immediately. There's everybody. nothing you can say about her. There's nothing bad you mm-hmm. can say. And even when Trump wanted to invite her to the White House to honor her, 
she she just brilliantly finds ways to not get stuck in issues. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm so sorry. My husband isn't feeling well. It's COVID. I cannot come. Mm. Then he asked her to come back again. She said, I'm sorry. We're in a global pandemic. Like, just <laughs> gets it right every time. Dolly Parton is my biggest inspiration. And I love you, Dolly P. I was going to have a Dolly Parton birthday, but COVID. COVID. So that we cut it. Dolly, this one's for you. Mm. Love you, Jolly. Live it up. Coming up next, we're talking platonic life partners. Could you have a relationship with zero sex? We'll talk about it. Good morning, Beat. Channel Q. Are platonic life partnerships the new wave? Could you be in a relationship with somebody, raise children, have a whole family, and never have sex with them? We're having that conversation in about 15 minutes from right now, uh, and it's becoming more common than you might realize. It's super fascinating stuff. But first, it's time for news on the beat. I have one question for you, Michaela Gordon. Go out uh, there. You know, Joe Biden was kind of a daddy back in the day. Like, if you look at old pictures of, of, of Grandpa Joe, he could get it. Yeah, he, he was, was cute. Handsome. And now we're hearing that Joe Biden is possibly going mask for mask? What? All right, well, the Biden administration is planning to distribute hundreds of millions of free High-quality masks through pharmacies and community health centers. A White House official said the 400 million newly available masks will be non-surgical N95s that are sourced from the government's strategic national stockpile as part of an effort to ensure Americans can access the more protective masks during a record surge of COVID-19 cases. Oh, so we're talking N95s. Yeah. Not like a grinder profile no not I, I would i would assume joe biden is mask for mask for sure right absolutely yeah he's totally into it <laughs> i think it's um helpful that he's doing that but i feel like everywhere i go people already have masks available <clears throat> like when i walk into a store and i forget one or something they're or everywhere else does they have the masks. i grabbed a couple from the break room upstairs yesterday and they're in the drawer back here in case we run out yeah, it's interesting that two years in, we're like, oh, yeah, let's get masks to people. Yeah. When everybody, most places have moved ma- like past the mask part. Well, and it's also interesting pandemic. when we're talking about a COVID surge, which is yesterday, we said that the Omicron has yet to peak. So where are we? Are we actually going to? I think we're calling it climax now. Uh, we're Omicron climaxing. Hasn't, yeah, we're she hasn't climaxing. climaxed yet. Yeah, yeah. She has not climaxed yet. In all seriousness, no, this is, it's, the, it's that fatigue, the COVID fatigue of it all. And it's great to be getting testing kits out to people finally, which is great. It's great to get masks. But I feel like he probably should have led with that. Like week one in the White House, I feel like Joe Biden should have tried to figure that out. Yeah. Like a year later, it's like now masks. I've been wearing masks for two years. Like I'm good. That's, I'm saying like yeah. I that doesn't surprise me at all. Because if, if you're of the mindset that you, you live in a state where you don't have to wear masks, you're not going to wear them. If you were going to wear it, you're already doing it. So I don't know that this is really moving the needle at all. It feels a little bit like a waste of funds. I, I think so too. I yeah. sort of feel like that too. Also, I'm so tired of covering up my lip filler. Like that, we have to end this sooner or later. Well, America deserves your full, full lip. Listen, a one of my best pout. friends calls them slug lips, and I have never been unable to hear that. And so these slug lips are waiting to be shown off if ever the day comes. I've had to start TikToking in order for people to see me. So been really busy. In other I'm sorry, days, I'm over here trying to make a joke. Like these boots are made for walking, these lips are made for talking. I'm trying to like make a joke there and throw slug in there somewhere, but I couldn't figure it out. I'll wor- I'll workshop it. Slugs off-air. were made for smooching. Okay. These lips were made for slugging. <laughs> that's a that's a starting point. 
Something to work with. All right. In other news, Jim Obergefell, whose name has become synonymous with same-sex marriage rights in the U.S., announced that he will run for a seat in the Ohio House of Representatives, OKA Jay. Obergefell is running as a Democrat in his hometown, Sandusky, to represent the state's 89th <clears throat> district, which includes Erie and Ottawa counties. He is seeking to challenge the first-term Republican incumbent, DJ Swearingen. Now, he championed his advocacy work, including the Supreme Court's 2015 decision in Obergefell versus Hodges, which legalized same-sex marriage across the country. Obergefell and his husband, John Arthur, first sued Ohio in July 2013 after they flew to Maryland and got married on the tarmac of a Baltimore airport. Very interesting. Interesting because they got married on the tarmac. They just flew there literally just to get married. And I think this is really cool. One, I love that he's from Ohio. It makes me proud. Uh, I was at his wine shop up in Guerneville outside of San Francisco a couple months ago. There's a video actually online. I'll share it on my social media of uh, Equality Vines. And we bought some bottles to support. I also love <clears throat> that he is uh, from Sandusky, Ohio. Fun fact, Sandusky, Ohio is the home to Cedar Point. Also, oh wow, I'm like choking up right now. <clears throat> Also, where I hooked up with a young man for the very first time in my life when I was 19, 20 years old, going to the University of Toledo. Uh, we both worked at Abercrombie. We met on AOL Instant Messenger, and I drove up there and had my first experience with a man. That was beautiful. I was, was a, a beautiful uh, consen- consenting adult, but uh, listen, he came out of Sandusky. I came out in Sandusky. And that's... It's beautiful. And that's what we know about Sandusky. <laughs> All right, running out news this morning. Fashion icon and former Vogue editor Andre Leon Talley has died at the age of 73. A statement was released on his official Instagram. It is with great sadness we announced the passing of Andre Leon Talley on January 18th, 2022 in New York. Mr. Talley was the larger-than-life longtime creative director at Vogue during its rise to dominance as the world's fashion bible. Okay, let's get into weather. It's going to be a high of 77 in Cathedral City, 77 in La Quinta, 43 in Cleveland, 41 in Chicago, 48 in Baltimore, 70 in Phoenix, 41 in Kansas City, 77 in Palm Springs, 64 in Vegas, and 46 in New York, a high of 64 in LA. Now give us a vibe of the day. Success is not an activity, but a process. You know, thinking about this, I was talking about a... uh, Jim Obergefell just a moment ago in his, his wine shop, we actually have some bottles at home. We have one of them is called Love Wins. I might crack that open tonight. Crack it open. In honor of uh, his running for uh, political office. Yeah. It's kind of cool. All right. Well, listen, you can uh, have a glass of wine while we discuss platonic life partners. You love them. They're your best friends. You have children with them. But can you have a relationship where it involves no sex? If you love them so much, why don't you marry them? And then not have sex with them for the rest of your lives. Hmm. That's called love. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. The Morning Beat with A.J. Gibson and Michaela Gordon. Channel Q. Listen, I'd rather dance with a stranger than marry a friend and have a platonic relationship. I've been in one of those, honey, but 
Platonic partnerships are on the rise. More and more people are choosing to get married and have children together Mm -hmm. and forego a sex life completely with their partner so that they can raise a family, whether they're doing it for financial reasons, for security, just for the companionship of it all. And I, I hear it. I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. I was in a relationship for about four years, and it's how you and I met. This person, you know this person well. He's actually a good friend of mine. He'll be at my wedding. It's my only ex that's going to be at the wedding, by the way. Uh, And my partner's fine with it. And I think he's fine with it because we basically had a platonic relationship. He was my best friend. We traveled the world together. We had so many incredible experiences together. He really taught me how to navigate life in Los Angeles and how to, like, be a man. And I I will forever be grateful for that. But he's more like a big brother to me than he was a partner. Our sex life was literally non-existent. I think for a, for a whole litany of issues that I will not reveal here, I think we attempted to have sex maybe two or three times over the course of four years. And I oddly got comfortable with it. I was a little bit insecure about myself because I thought he was the first person I dated in LA. And I was like, okay, I guess I just must not be cute here. Right. And so I just kind of assumed that like, oh, all the guys in LA are so hot, I'm not hot enough. And I know that's not that wasn't accurate looking backwards, but I was happy. I wasn't having sex with him, but I was actually really enjoying the relationship. Well, listen, I think a lot of couples are going, how long has it been since me and you had sex, honey? Because right. I think that people forget how important sex is. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice to just have a good partnership. With my ex, we never had sex. But he was also a man, and I wasn't really into it at all. Like, I wasn't sexually attracted like that. But he was, like, the most iconic guy I'd ever met. He was so good to me. He was so perfect for what I needed at that time. For what I needed at that time, that part. Yes. That's important. Yes. And he was gorgeous and he's his family was delicious. Like everything was perfect except for the fact that he was a man and I did not want to have sex with him. Then when I moved on to Lisa, I was obviously obsessed. I was like a rabbit. And then as we started couples counseling, we had to start realizing that like sex is a very important part of a relationship and you have to actively work at it Mm -hmm. and you have to sometimes schedule days and times to have sex because your schedule is so crazy. There's things you can do throughout the day that sort of rev you up for the night. And I think I wish people would have taught me that I feel like, Saying that is like, oh, you have to schedule sex? Yeah, bitch, you do. Like, there are <laughs> rules and ways to do things, and it is okay because that is how you keep it from being platonic um, and getting stimulated yeah. by your partner. Well, don't, don't you remember we did that story of the seven uh, Chinese women who were all single, and they'd been best friends their entire lives, and when they got older, they pulled their money together and bought this massive mansion. I love it. Right? And they, they're living together in sort of like this compound now, and they're living their best lives, and they and it, this place is gorgeous. And they wouldn't have been able to do it had they not pulled their money together. Yes. It's another, it's another, uh, another way of sort of having a relationship without the sex aspect of it. And it might be different because they're a little bit later in life. They've lived their lives, and maybe some of them have had children, some have not. But... Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching year 10 in my relationship. I'm getting married in June, and my partner and I have the hottest sex life. Like, we genuinely have fantastic, fantastic sex. There's never been, like, really an instance where I was like, eh, I don't think I'm really into him anymore. And we're, we're monogamous. Like, we're not in an open relationship. We're not out yeah. there in these streets. We're not doing those sorts of things. We're just into each other. Having said that, that super hot, steamy sex life that we have sometimes goes weeks 
where it's completely dormant. Yeah. And that's a relationship. But then all of a sudden we'll have sex a few times in, in a couple of days and then we won't for weeks at a time. And I think more relationships are actually like that. So when you really break it down, the percentage of time in a relationship that you actually spend in bed. Because I know we all like to act like, oh, hot sex lasts for hours and hours. No, it lasts about six to eight minutes probably, to be honest. Um, maybe a little foreplay. But if you break down the actual amount of time you spend in a sexual relationship with your partner versus everything else, and if your goal is to have children, maybe mm-hmm. you're maybe maybe it's me and you. Maybe it's a gay guy and a, and a lesbian woman. Or maybe they're just two platonic friends. Listen, I not? know. I know a lesbian and a gay guy that were best friends that wanted a baby. And they had the baby. Mm. And they lived together in the same house raising the baby. Yeah. And she dates who she dates. And he dates who he dates. And, you know, especially with prices alone. Living in L.A. is so expensive now. Living anywhere is expensive. But L.A. is crazy. And when Lisa and I were moving, I remembered how grateful I was to have Lisa to split rent with because to yeah. pay for it by myself, I couldn't live like that. We split the groceries, we, everything we split. And then also Lisa takes on and shoulders more expenses than I do. And I'm very grateful for mm-hmm. that. And sometimes that's what you get out of a platonic relationship. Well, because if your goal is, if your goal is to be a parent, right? But you don't have a partner, but maybe, maybe you want to be a parent, but you don't want to be in a monogamous, monogamous relationship. That's also very real. Maybe you still want to play the field, but you want to be a good parent. It it, it makes it an option. And also, also, I would love to have been raised in a home with two people who like got along and were best friends and just loved each other. Because if you think about it, you're not thinking about whether your parents are getting it on or not. You're not thinking about that aspect. You think about how they interact with each other and how they treat you and how that affects your life. That's it. Yeah. So if you and I together as parents would be a blast. We'd be fantastic parents, and there wouldn't be the added pressure of trying to also please each other sexually and worry about that aspect of it. Because when that goes off, everything else starts to fall apart. But if it's not on the table, it changes the game. Yeah. I I think this is fantastic. I'm going to obviously have kids with my husband, but this is a really cool option, I think. I think it's great. Totally. All right, coming up in red, white, and Q, it's Trump versus DeSantis. Tyler Pager, a White House reporter at The Washington Post, joins us to talk about these frenemies next. I am American, American, American. Welcome back to The Morning Beat. It's time for another round of red, white, and Q. Joining us today is a special guest. Tyler Pager is a White House reporter for The Washington Post. Uh, Tyler, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Very, very busy uh, morning there in D.C., so thank you so much for making time for mm-hmm. us. Uh, we're really curious about this uh, Ron DeSantis situation. He and Donald Trump seemed so close for so long, and it seems now that Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, uh, is refusing to sort of, uh, I guess, bend the knee to Donald Trump. And many are wondering if that's because of something that we're, we're missing. Is it because he plans on running for president in 2024? Is he, is he trying to separate himself? What do you think is going on with that relationship, and is it foreshadowing anything? Yeah, look, I think it's hard to tell from the outside, but uh, I think some theories are, are that, you know, Ron DeSantis wants to be president, and one of the biggest obstacles to winning the Republican nomination would be the former president, Donald Trump, who's also signaling and putting in motion that he will run again for the Republican nomination. Um, look, Trump has a ironclad grasp on the Republican Party at this point. Um, and I think Ron DeSantis is, is moving even further to the right on some issues, trying to create some separation, um, 
whether that's to mount a run or, or just try to sort of distinguish himself from the shadow of Trump. There was a, a long time where they worked uh, and seemed like, you know, DeSantis was at one point trying to position to be a potential running mate. Uh, that seems to not be the case anymore. But, you know, it's still early. And I think uh, a lot's going to happen in the next few months and, and, and years as Republicans organize themselves. That's interesting that you talk about him being a possible running mate, because I feel like Ron DeSantis has more of a chance than ever. I feel like the people in Florida are absolutely obsessed with him. And I think the people that liked Trump in the very beginning were, was because he uh, didn't want to get um, vaccinated. He believed in all these things that that sort of belief did. And he's turned away. A lot of people are mad at Trump now and they want to rely on somebody else. And I feel like Ron would be the guy. Yeah, look, I think there are a lot of Republicans. There's a lot of energy behind Ron DeSantis. Some of those straw polls uh, at the most conservative gatherings, whether that's CPAC or the like. Um, Ron DeSantis is often the second choice behind Donald Trump. But look, the, you know, the base could turn at any point. The vaccination issue is the one that's seemingly driving the wedge right now as Trump uh, is a little bit more pro-vaccine than he has been, not for mandates, but saying people should get it. Ron DeSantis is 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 not doing that, not even saying whether he's been vaccinated or what his status is on that front. And I think that's just the beginning, right? As the, the crowded Republican field um, kind of materializes, I think we'll see each Republican, potential Republican candidate, deal with the, the Trump relationship differently. Um, and, and I think it's right to be focused on the Ron DeSantis-Donald Trump relationship, just given that they, they are, you know, Trump, obviously, but Ron DeSantis is one of the most prominent non-Trump figures in the party. Well, he's actually a little bit more scary to me than Donald Trump in some ways. I think he's just as evil, but I think he's a little bit smarter, and that kind of concerns me. But I want to pivot just a bit. If you're just now joining us, we're talking to Tyler Pager, White House reporter for The Washington Post. And Joe Biden's numbers are plummeting, um, and it feels like we're now in an era where the president, the White House, just doesn't get the amount of time that they used to get to get rolling and get things going. He's one year into his presidency, and it feels like everybody's already abandoning him. You know, you're right there. You're you're in the room. You're asking the questions. Uh, what's going on with the Biden White House? Can they turn this thing around? What do we know looking at history that they might be able to pull from uh, to have a successful 2022 and beyond? Yeah, look, I think this is an incredibly unique time in American history. We are entering year three of what people say is a once-in-a-generation global pandemic that impacts every aspect of life, whether that's your health, the economy, um, schools, whatever it is, the, the pandemic continues to, to wreak havoc on the country. And so I think that is part of the reason why there is, um, I think, less of, of that, that leash that Americans give a president to kind of settle in. And, and I think people are just really fed up and have pandemic fatigue and want life to go back to normal. And that's what the president ran on, right? This promise that he would restore normalcy, competency to the White House. And there's been some stumbles, some things outside the, the president's control. But I think when you talk to people inside the White House, and we will hear from the president at a press conference, I think address this, nothing is going to dramatically improve until the pandemic um, is curtailed. There's some optimism that after this Omicron wave crest, which it's starting to do in parts of the country, that there will finally be this this full return to normalcy. Um, and then economic recovery will, will, will be paired with that. But I think it's really hard to look past or, or look toward any sort of future positive for the president in, until that happens. Mm, such good insight. Well, Thank you so much. We appreciate you so much for joining us, Tyler Pager, a White House reporter at the Washington Post. We look forward to talking with you soon.
Thanks for having me. All right, coming up, singer Bono is making a wild revelation about his music. Does he hate his own voice? It's actually very common, and we'll talk about it next. The Morning Beat Channel Q. One of the most famous singers in the entire world hates listening to their own music. Uh, and I can't believe this. And I, I know it's not Michaela for two reasons. One, she loves her own music. She loves it. Obsessed. Two, she's not one of the most famous singers in the entire world. Just to me. Like, to me, you're the biggest celebrity I know. I know that's right. So that was sort of a compliment-ish. Like Thank a compliment you. adjacent. Are you happy with it? Thank you so much. You I us, will take that. Can you give us the details of this wild story and what's popping? So this is so a story that I've heard so many times. It's not shocking to me. But Bono hates listening to his own music. And he says it embarrasses him. He just really makes it makes him feel very uncomfortable. Um, and uh, we know that a lot of actors have come out and said that as well. And I can understand, in all seriousness, I have a hard time watching myself on television and I have a hard time listening to my music and I've had to get over it because you start picking it apart and mm, you want to criticize that's it. That's true. And then it prolongs you putting it out. And so especially when you're in a band like you 2 you can't just pick it apart. Well, there's no such not... thing as a perfect performance. There, well, no, it's of not. course. But it does become uncomfortable. And for me, even when I watch, uh, like Lisa's mom thinks it's the funniest thing that she watches every single thing I do in CW, every single thing I do, and I don't watch it. And she'll say, I saved it for you. Do you want to watch it? I'm like, no. And she's like, how does someone go on TV and not want to watch it? But it's really because I will pick myself apart and I don't want to do that because then I won't go back on television. So I totally understand that. And I think it's like uh it's anybody that has to review yeah. their work i feel like this should give so many people confidence somebody who excels who's literally at the top of his game one of the most famous performers on the entire planet can't listen to himself yeah and it is so true i don't watch myself almost ever ever anymore because after a while there's no good that's going to come of it you, you watch it first and it's okay to check in from time to time listen to yourself or watch yourself so you can learn and maybe hear things that you're not doing well. Yeah. Every now and then I listen to our show and I'm like, oh, I say uh too much. And now that I've said it out loud, people are going to listen for it. That's <laughs> awesome. But I say that to hold myself accountable so I don't say uh to fill in the blanks when I'm thinking of my next thought. Because I'm a human. We all do it. But I, I always tell people this. When people are shocked that I don't watch myself back on TV or you don't watch yourself back on TV or listen to all of your performances, this is our job. Totally. This is what we do for a living. You don't go work at a library or, or at a factory or at McDonald's and then go back and watch yourself work. It's weird, yeah. right? We just happen to be on camera or on the air. It doesn't mean we're going to consume our own content over and over again. By the time I walk out of here, I have 20 other things I need to tend to. So it makes sense. But if I were Bono, though, I think I would listen to myself. He's so great. It's so crazy. It you just know. goes to show you. Like, Johnny Depp has come out and said, I do not watch myself. Yeah. Like, some of the greats just do better not listening or watching themselves simply because you might not do it anymore. Yeah, I'll tell you, hard. I met Bono one time eight years ago at the Golden Globes. I was there with Entertainment Tonight doing some coverage, and they were testing me out, and it was a whole experience for me. It was my first major red carpet. And Bono, I kid you not... It was my first experience. It also happened to Leonardo DiCaprio, but Bono was my very first experience of somebody walking up and me feeling their energy before I saw them. 
Wow. He's one of those stars that's like larger than life, and you just feel their presence. Lady Gaga has it too. Few people have it. Yeah. And you just kind of feel their energy when they're in proximity to you, and he's one of those people. The first time I ever experienced it, he was fantastic. Yeah, I love it. All right, coming up in Red, White, and Q, Victory, North Carolina, and gender-affirming health care coverage. We're joined with a Lambda Legal Senior Attorney and Healthcare Strategist coming up. The Morning Beat with AJ and Michaela. A major victory in North Carolina when it comes to gender-affirming health care coverage. We're going to be talking to an expert about that specific case. Uh, Somebody from Lambda Legal is going to be joining us in about 15 minutes. Stick around for that conversation. Uh, It's it's, it's rare that we get to have positive conversations uh, about our trans community. doesn't happen nearly enough. But it is happening, and we're going to shine a light on Mm -hmm. it here on The Morning Beat coming up in just a little bit. And then at the end of the hour today, I have a couple of really fun Stories about our fuzzy, furry friends. We love Tell them. Me Something Good. It's an all-pet edition of Tell Me Something Good, and that sounds great to me. What else sounds great to me is a little news on the beat. Michaela, what do you have for us? All right, honey. Well, the federal government has quietly launched its website to sign up for free COVID-19 tests, allowing people to order a maximum of four tests shipped directly to their household. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki confirmed that the government website to order free COVID-19 tests is up and running as a part of a beta phase ahead of the government website's formal rollout this morning. Uh, New legislation went into effect in California requiring health insurance to cover the cost of at-home test kits for also sexually transmitted infections, including HIV, syphilis, and chlamydia. Uh, That Senate Bill 306 also called the STD Coverage and Care Act. It passed both chambers of the California Assembly in September and was signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom. made several health care updates to California's codes, specifically related to changes lawmakers felt necessary in light of the COVID-19 pandemic including finding ways to address the rising STI rates in California. Currently, residents in Alabama and the District of Columbia can request free STI test kits from public health departments, but insurances are not legally obligated to cover the cost. So all very good news when that's it comes a, to at-home testing. That's a big deal. You can test for HIV, syphilis, and chlamydia at home and get it covered by your health care? Amazing, right? That's incredible. I, I, I feel like they're, yes, I hope that public health care also in, covers these things, Obamacare as well, but I think that's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. All right, another news, France has ended its ban on gay and bisexual men donating blood, allowing LGBTQ people to donate blood Without discriminatory conditions starting on March 16th, we are putting an end to an inequality that is no longer justified. Uh, well, it was never justified, to be fair. Ever. But, yeah, okay. Any person will arrive as an individual donor, explained Director General of Health Jerome Salomon. He said that the risk of blood with HIV entering the country's blood supply has been falling steadily for decades. Instead, all donors will be asked questions about their sexual activity and drug use. I always say this, and it's so shady, but if I was a gay man, I'd be like, well, I'm not donating now just because you said it's Oh, okay. no, I am a thousand percent. I see people post, I, I commented on something the other day, and it was somebody that, she lives here in Los Angeles. She's very well off. She's a friend of ours, and she posted that we're having this drug where there's a blood crisis right now. And I was like, well, if only we could do something about it, because we can't donate. She's like, what do you mean? And then she started reading up, like, honey, for four decades we haven't been able to because of discriminatory laws. It's that so it. crazy to so, me. So, honey, I'm not coming to help you now. No, and it's <laughs> so ignorant and it's yeah. such old ways of thinking. And every time that we've talked to a specialist about HIV, AIDS, anybody could get it. 
Anybody can get any yes. STI. Anybody can get any. We've also been able to test it and track it for decades now, so it's an outdated. It might have made sense as a as a sort of like a placeholder while we figured it out and how to like test for it and everything. But we've been able to do that since I've been alive almost. So it's just it's frustrating. Um, but also think about the impact of hearing for a lifetime, right? That your blood is dirty, your blood is less than. I mean, we're talking about the thing that gives us life, that sustains yeah. us. Yeah. As queer people, as, as gay men in particular and bisexual men, your blood is dirty. It's not worthy. People, People's lives are on the line, and we still don't want it. Yeah. It's just traumatizing, and that goes deep. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get into a little bit of weather. It's going to be a high of 64 in L.A., 64 in Vegas, 77 in Palm Springs, 75 in Houston, 55 in San Francisco, 48 in Seattle, 48 in Baltimore, 43 in Cleveland, a high of 77 in Cathedral City, and 79 in La Quinta. Now give us a vibe of the day. Success is not an activity, but a process. You gotta enjoy the process. Enjoy if you the can process. do that, you're already successful. Absolutely, I love that. All right, coming up in Red, White, and Q, victory in North Carolina in gender affirming healthcare coverage. We're joined with a Lambda Legal Senior Attorney and Healthcare Strategist next. It's rare that we get to have these conversations here on The Morning Beat. Unfortunately, most of our conversations regarding uh, healthcare and our trans community are usually bad news, right? But today we have a, we have a victory in North Carolina in their gender-affirming healthcare coverage. And here to help us break it down for Red, White, and Q from Lambda Legal is Omar Gonzalez-Pegan. Omar, how are you doing? Very good. Thank you for having me. So we're excited about this because uh, this is a major victory uh, for our trans community, uh, for marginalized people in general, including you know LGBTQ people who are living with HIV. Uh, what can you tell us about this victory in North Carolina and why we should be paying attention to it? Certainly. Uh, as uh, Lambda Legal is currently representing a number of transgender state employees and or transgender dependents of state employees who are being denied care, uh, coverage for their gender-affirming care under the state health plan. Um, as that case is ongoing, part of the issue was whether state health entities, like it is the state health plan, are subject to lawsuits under the Affordable Care Act's non-discrimination provision. Mm. Um, we won that at the district court level. We won that at the Court of Appeals last September. Um, but then unsatisfied, the state health plan asked the U.S. Supreme Court to take up the case. And just yesterday, we learned that the U.S. Supreme Court has declined to take up that case. And in fact, is living in place the understanding of the Court of Appeals in our case, as well as the understanding of multiple courts across the country, that state health entities that discriminate uh, uh, on the basis of sex, race, national origin, age, or disability uh, can be sued for that discrimination mm. under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, okay. Certainly, that, the victory that we achieved uh, yesterday is one that resonates not just for our plaintiffs in our case and for transgender people encountering exclusions of gender-affirming care by state plans or and or Medicaid programs, but really for all people 
who may encounter discrimination at a st- by a state health entity that receives federal funding. Well, I want to um, thank you for joining us again, Omar. Uh, Lambda Legal Senior Attorney and Healthcare Strategist. Now, while Lambda Legal fights the case, what should transgender people know while they seek hormone therapy or any kind of surgery? Well, really, uh, two things. One is that uh, the broad consensus is that that is medically necessary and uh, care, and care that the denial of which is unlawful. Uh, it may be unlawful if uh, your employer's plan excludes it because that is a violation of Title VII. It may be unlawful if, this, if the health entity that refuses you care or doesn't provide coverage, receives federal funding of any kind, and that would be under the Affordable Care Act. And so certainly when you encounter that discrimination, you should be able to contact organizations like Land Legal or uh, the, the Office of Civil Rights of the Department of Health and Human Services, which just last May reaffirmed uh, this administration's interpretation of the Affordable Care Act to include coverage of gender identity. Well, Omar, thank you so much for all you do at Lambda Legal. Thank you for keeping, you know, keeping this fight going and for getting us a victory because our trans brothers and sisters oftentimes are overlooked and, and, and singularly discriminated in a way that is just not acceptable. We appreciate all the work you do. Uh, join us again sometime here on The Morning Beat and continue fighting the good fight. Thank you, Omar. Thank you. Tell me something good. You know what, Michaela, in honor of the conversation we had yesterday with our celebrity veterinarian, Doc Halligan, about cats, I'm trying to do better. Yeah. I, I am a self-proclaimed dog person through and through. I'm very, very allergic to cats, but I think they're cute. Can't trust them, but I do think they're cute. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna do a cat story today for Tell Me Something Good. Are you down for it? Yes, honey. Because this cat has just been reunited with their family after it got stuck somewhere you might not expect. Okay, so the family uh, was decided to clear out some of their old furniture while preparing to move out of their home in Denver, Colorado. I love Denver. We were there for Pride this year together. It's the first time I was actually in a club in a long time. You performed your hit single. DJ Lisa was on the stage. Emil and I brought fans. We did fan work. It was iconic. At an all-lesbian event, and we were a huge hit. It was amazing. So Denver. That's the, that's the scene of this this moment in time. So this family donated an old recliner to a local charity shop. Very kind of them. But little did they know that ginger cat Matakia had tucked himself away inside the chair. Employees from the shop discovered him meowing, called Denver Animal Shelter to come pick him up on New Year's Eve. And uh, a police officer showed up, scanned the four-year-old cat, but unfortunately, his microchip had not been updated, so the cat remained at the shop, hoping his family would return. Fortunately, the family quickly noticed that their kitty was missing and called the store to see if he'd hitched a ride in the armchair. Uh, just a few hours later, uh, they picked him up. They were reunited. The cat literally climbed inside of a recliner and was tucked away in the oh arm my God, of the recliner. Be- just being a cozy guy. Being a cozy guy, you know what makes me, You know what it makes me think of? The scene from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Remember where all of a sudden there's an explosion? And the and cat is the in the cat, tree? The cat, yes. Well, the cat was underneath the, re- the recliner. The, yes. And there's a big hole in the yes. ground where the cat yes. blew up. Yes, Thank God that didn't happen here. I'm projecting a bit. I want to blow up cats. No, I don't. No, okay. I don't. I think they're great. But Don't F with cats, I love this reunion. <laughs>
Uh, okay, well, this story is very, uh, very cute as well. A donkey. Wait, another animal story? A donkey. Love it. He was ditched by his mama. Oh, no. But now he thinks he's a puppy. He what? thinks he's a doggy because it was raised among pooches. <laughs> uh, John Natal and his partner, Grazina, uh, live on England's East Coast. And when they saw the mother of a miniature mule rejecting him, they decided <sighs> to take him. And mm. at three months old, uh, he was off to a rough start. But then they just started treating him like a dog. They went to the pet shop and bought big dog nappies uh, so he could go to the restroom in the house. Uh, and then they kept feeding him. Wait, these are like diapers for a dog, but a donkey Legit. wearing diapers. And now the donkey, <laughs> if you see the dog, the donkey, it's on the couch. It's literally doing things that dogs do. And it's been trained to to act like a dog. To cuddle like a dog Is on the couch. Is that so cute? I want a miniature donkey now. I know. Donkey? I know. It's so cute. Eeh-oh, eeh pretty good. I think that's what a donkey he does kind yeah of. it was actually very good you're welcome uh okay well that's the end of our show as always thank you to our amazing guests our producer vanessa aj gibsonian why do you uh, call me that i don't know i just no feel idea like where it. it comes from no reason it sounds at very all. fancy i think you think it sounds fancy mm-hmm, i uh-huh. do it also reminds me of smithsonian <laughs> have you been there never okay that does not track but it also <laughs> does track it does track we have a great show for you tomorrow it's therapy thursdays as always thank you for listening we'll see you then